again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast. I am Michael Citro from TheMainland.com, founder and managing editor. And uh, welcome to uh, podcast number 63, I believe this is. Andrew. Uh, Andrew Harrison, as always, with me this week. How are you doing this week, Andrew? I'm feeling pretty good. And, uh, we, got, we got three points, so it's better than ever. Three points. It uh, seems like it's been a while mm-hmm. since that's happened. And an even longer while since it's happened two times in a row, which hopefully will be the case next week. But we'll get to that later. Um, since we last joined you, uh, we have played New York City FC, which stands for Football Club. Uh, as, as most people are aware, just in case there are some new new listeners who stumbled upon us, stumbled upon us in iTunes, had no idea what this was. What the heck is a Powad cast? Uh, and then you know now they're now they've already turned it off. To it. Yep, they've already <laughs> turned it off. Soccer? What the heck? Uh, anyway, yes, uh, Orlando City Soccer Club against New York City Football Club. Apparently, they don't play the same sport, which is okay with me because Orlando City. Undefeated against NYCFC this year, Andrew. Yeah, it feels pretty good considering the New York City have risen in their second year, and we are still kind of floating around that red line. But it felt pretty good to hopefully get that. We got that victory, and maybe it'll kickstart the rest of our season. Never can tell. It's a it's a <laughs> tough schedule the rest of the way for Orlando City. Still a lot of good teams left on the schedule. LA Galaxy away. Uh, Philadelphia Union, uh, Montreal away. So there's there's some good uh, Toronto away as well. So some good teams to play. Uh, they're going to have to earn it if they're going to get in the playoffs this year. Uh, as it, you know, basically is the case any year. But uh, yeah, it, it, those dropped points throughout the, the the early part of the season looming pretty large right now as we head down the stretch. Uh, just just outside that uh, that playoff picture, but uh, lurking. Uh, really. What they need to do is, is just kind of tread water and beat D.C. United. That's kind of what it all comes down to, isn't it? Pretty much. I think they really we're really can just competing for that sixth spot. Fifth is probably a little far away, but we do have two games against Montreal, so maybe we could catch fifth place, but we're really just fighting D.C. Um, and D.C. also had a, got a win this week, a pretty categorical win. Um, so if we can just keep pace, I think we can maybe do it against them on September. Yeah, Chicago played against D.C. the way you would have hoped Chicago would have played against us, but did not. It was not to be. <laughs> so Orlando City and New York City FC, and uh, you know the, the Lions go out. They get a brace, first ever MLS brace from the captain, Kaká. Uh, he gets one uh, just on a sheer determination play and another from the spot. And I have to, I have to give it to him. That first goal was very reminiscent of the goal he scored against West Brom in the friendly last year where he, you just could tell by his his body language and his expression that he's just going to go score and no one's going to stop him. Mm-hmm. He's just going to go do it. And, you know, the, the, the type of goal was different in that, you know, against West Brom, he picked it up at midfield and just took it the whole distance himself. Uh, this one was a very good interchange of play between – uh, a few players uh, started off by Matias Perez Garcia, who uh, who dispossessed a, a player from uh, New York City. I can't recall, but I think it was Pirlo, and uh, his dispossession of Pirlo sent the ball to Antonio Notorino. Notorino sent it back up the field, back to MPG. He uh, held it as long as he could, then laid off to his right to Kaká, and Kaká did the rest himself. It was a, a fantastic goal. It was a great individual effort, and I think what it really was the catalyst for was. 
a, a good sign for how our attacking players can hopefully get this season started. It was such a great combination. We saw Nocherino kind of really play a part, but MPG has really come into his own since moving. And then Kaká, it's kind of amazing that we're saying this is Kaká's first MLS brace, yet Laren has two hat-tricks. <laughs> you know, you, you, yeah. it's kind of amazing that this has taken him almost two seasons to get two goals in a single game. But yeah. he, he was well-deserved, and it was a great, solid individual effort, I think, for that first one. Yeah, and, and Laren a number of braces as well as yeah. the two hat-tricks. So, uh, you know, they said it was his first multi-goal game, and I absolutely did not believe it. I, I had to either. go game by game and look at the stats and say, oh, my God, you're right. It just seemed like there had to have been a game where he had a couple of goals, including, you know, because he scored so many uh, penalty kick goals last year. Mm-hmm. You would have thought that he would have got one in the run of play at some point in one of those games. But no, first brace. And, um, you know, I think that speaks a lot to his... Uh, selflessness and his um, desire to set up his teammates more than take the glory himself. Uh, but yeah, it was fantastic that he chose that moment to say, I'm going to score and <laughs> no one's going to stop me. Oh, did Josh Saunders, did you stop that shot? Well, uh, I'm sorry, you left me too much of the ball. I'm going to put in the rebound. Yeah, I think, you know, I, you know what I got from Kaká was also that he was on a point to prove. You I mean, he's playing against Lampard, Pirlo and Villa on the other side. He mm-hmm. has to show what he can still do. And I think that was a great engine performance from him, as well as scoring the two goals. He was just all over the place. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get to the fact that Breck Shea came on for him, and it just it didn't seem logical to make that switch for how <laughs> much of a performance Kakar had put in that night. And once again, he didn't have, you know, two goals. He was most busy on the stat sheet, but he was still just such tireless work effort from the captain as well. Yeah, and I... I... I made no bones about this. I did not think he was the best player on the night had he not scored the two yeah. goals, which are rather important. I, I think if uh, you know if they had been two, even if he had scored the penalty and not the other one, I think I probably would have gone with uh, Perez Garcia mm-hmm. as my player of the match. Uh, and he, you know, Kaká had been coming off a couple games, so he didn't play particularly well against Toronto and, and Colorado. I didn't think, and you know, it was starting to be one of those things where. Okay, Jason Christ looks like he's he's done a good job in in terms of, for the most part, fixing the, some of the defensive woes, but at the cost maybe of some offense because it, you know, the midfielders in general, the attacking midfielders have not played well the last couple of games, and then you know Kyle Laren as well up top, not get, getting any service, not getting a whole lot of touches, uh, a poor uh, passing person, you know, passing accuracy from him. And also, you know, being dispossessed a lot. So it, it's been a problem with the attacking four, really, for the last few games. Although I thought MPG certainly uh, snapped out of that against New York City. And I think, to a lesser extent, Kaká did. He, he had a better game. Molino uh, also improved somewhat from the last couple of games. But he still isn't Kevin Molino. He's still, right now, maybe lacking some confidence. Yeah, he's definitely not Kevin Molino. And the Kevin Molino that I think... We had expected, you know, we expected him to have a great first season. He got his knee injury, and I don't know if he's really recovered from that. I think the turf still potentially bothers him, but we're still not seeing what I think is his true potential level. But I think what we did see against New York City FC was the fact that Nocherino and Carrasco were so much better at trying to get the ball up the field to the attacking players. We just managed to pull that connection together that had been missing um, 
between the defense and the offense. And I really love that. And I think that was something that you have to give credit to Nocherino for is that he has really adopted um, crisis system or it's really just that crisis system works for him. And he's eventually learned how to play in this league. Um, MPG as well, I think both him and Kakar were just completely gassed when their performances were done. Um, and I remember watching the first 45 and turned to the people I was with game with and I was like, MPG's my man in the game. He was just tireless. He was all over the park. There wasn't a ball he didn't chase down. Um, mm. And he was just, he was playing for the win and I think he saw that it was possible and he got everybody in a great teammate performance around him as well. Yeah, the thing about MPG, it, we were told this guy doesn't play defense. Yeah. And yet he really did jumpstart that first goal with with a defensive play yep. in, in, in near the top of his own box. So you see that and you see that kind of effort and you just appreciate that so much because here's a guy who he desperately wants to score. He wants to fit in with his new team and he wants to show the, the fans here in Orlando that, you know, he's a good player that, that was worth, you know, trading a popular guy like Darwin Saren for and. And, you know, he hasn't got on the score sheet yet, but he's really been an integral part of, of what the offense has been able to put together the last few games. Um, we talked about Molino a little bit, and he, it wasn't all bad for Kevin. He was involved in some some pretty important plays. He was involved in the passing buildup to the uh, the penalty that was drawn by Kaká, uh, a nice little pass to, to free Kaká in the box, and no doubt about the penalty. It was certainly a penalty for me, and... and I've seen it from a number of angles a number of times, and it was like you could tell <laughs> he knew it was a penalty. Yeah, he did. And and, and remember, he should have actually been off because he was already on a yellow card. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, it was not uh, it was not New York down to 10 men, and maybe we could get some goal differential. But, uh, you know, Kaká buried the spot kick, and, and uh, they win 2-1. to one. Um, I thought... Um, like you said, Nocherino was to, for me. I've done a complete 180 on him. I was, I was always a little bit of a defender of his, saying he's not played since August. He still has to get you know in, in game shape, fitness, you know that whole thing. He's got to get used to living over here. Some sometimes this takes as much as a year for some guys. You know we can't judge him against other guys that make what he makes that come here from other countries and there are guys on other teams whose fans don't like them very much that make a lot of money that are kind of in the same boat that no Torino was in, mm-hmm. but they've been here longer. Um, you know, uh, Valdez from Seattle is one of those guys. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> and Valdez just can't score for loving the money right <laughs> now. So you, you kind of get that, but I think you have, you have to put this down. I, I don't think he gets better if Orlando city doesn't make, a coaching change. Yeah, I, I don't know that he ever um, felt comfortable in Adrian Heath's system, yep. and maybe he felt a little bit lost. He certainly has bought into everything Jason Christ has brought, and and I don't think anybody's as surprised about that as Jason Christ is, quite honestly. He said after his first match, he said, "Dude, if you would have told me that Antonio Nocherino would be a starter, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have believed yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> I did, did not see that happening, but he's clearly embraced this. He's uh, the style seems to suit him well. He's doing a very good job, I think, of of being a leader right now, not just not just on the field during games, but I think in in practices of, of helping guys know where they should be and communicating with guys. And which is funny to say, since he's the only one on the team that speaks Italian, but um, he's uh, he's done a really great job of late, and I think that that's been overshadowed. Now people will say he's still not worth six hundred thousand dollars, and that's you know what, 
I think anybody that makes six hundred thousand dollars and can get signed for that is worth it. <laughs> that's they've done the work to do that, so uh, they must be worth it. Now, if he were playing poorly, here's the thing though: he doesn't play a glamour position. He doesn't play a position that's going to get you a lot of goals and assists. But he's it's such a vital, vital position, especially in this offense. Yeah, and you know it's a position where if you make a mistake. You're going to get strung for it every single time. We saw that with Hagida and Saren. Um, we really saw it with him in his first couple of games under Adrian Heath. He would just make those silly fouls and we'd end up paying for them. But I think what he's been able to do is been given a solid partner in Carrasco, who I think no Torino play, prefers playing with over Hagida, which is why I think you potentially saw Saren shipped. Um, but what he's really been able to do is develop and really play that position that he's played most of his career, which will be ultimately the bottom of that diamond and being that link-up guy to the center mids, the attacking mids, the number 10 playmaker. And he's really just started to blossom. And and as you say, I mean, I think I was worse than you. I didn't support him from his performance. Early <laughs> I was ready to see him shipped out and say, uh, ciao. But yeah. um He's, he's he's kind of turned it around for me, and I think he really put in a full, solid, solid ninety-minute performance. And there wasn't a lot of time where I said, "Oh my God, he switched off," and and that was it. Let's also talk to uh, too about the fact that New York didn't get a lot of great scoring chances, and you know this was only the second time that Mateos and Jose Aja have started together at the central defense pairing. They have not. Uh, they've played together against Colorado, and they played against together now against New York City, uh, a very prolific offensive team. And in two goals, uh, two games starting together, they've, they've only allowed one goal. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it is either. And I have been really impressed with AHA. Um, I think his positioning is great. He seems to have the ability to cover off people very simply. Um, we were also asking this partnership to play with Redding, who on a right-back slot, which he doesn't typically mm-hmm. play, and we still only conceded one goal. I think it was a really solid defensive partnership from them, and I'm excited for the future. I don't know if that future includes Mateos as being AHA's partner, um, but I'm very excited to see AHA grow with somebody in that back line who's probably going to be Tommy Redding or Connor Donovan if he, if he hangs around. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the offseason with, with the defense in, in terms of, you know, we've seen Seb again have a, a knee injury and his knee is, is probably not going to get any better. It's just kind of been an on and off again thing. Um, he'll probably be left unprotected in the expansion draft, uh, just looking at the numbers. Uh, Mateos probably will be as well because of his price tag and, and that might scare some teams off from signing him. Uh, you know, Minnesota and Atlanta both united (laughs) and uh i'm just looking forward to seeing sort of how this shakes out it would be nice to get a a pairing in place that will be together for a couple of years because that that continuity is so overlooked by people that you know they just think oh if you bring in good players they they're just going to play great together but that's not necessarily true you got to get two guys that can kind of know instinctively what the other one's going to do I, you know i i posited that you know they both or, or you know gavin said in the in the press box he said that you know they both spanish speakers maybe that helps but and maybe it does but i think when you get somebody that's a good fit f- as a partner for you you don't really need to talk all that much you just kind of know where each other is i i think it's definitely that and and 
that is the most important partnership on the field for longevity. You saw it with the Timbers last year with Ridgewell and Borchers. They really took them all the way to the MLS Cup when they really started getting working. The fact of the matter is, we talked about it last year and this year, we went so long without being able to get the same partnership on the field. And once again, this is a partnership that has really kind of sprung up through injury, through people needing a break, through a compacted season. Um, but I think it's a potential, got a long way to go. It's just whether or not Mateos's money is, if he's good enough for his money and whether or not he sticks around, I think you've got to see a, a partnership a little bit cheaper than that because you need to be able to go deeper. Um, I think potentially Heinz is definitely left unprotected, but I think the one positive for us is the fact that he doesn't need a international slot and yes. that's something that we need to really plan for because we're going to we're going to give up some of our slots back we are already tight <laughs> um in terms of those so you're going to see some internationals get shipped or there's going to be a lot more trades to keep those guys around yeah it'll be interesting to and we'll, we're obviously going to get into that you know as the as the season winds down in the off season uh arrives and we we get ready for that and see who's going to be protected and who's not who and all of that, uh, how that shakes out. Uh, so my man of the match ended up being, uh, it ended up being Kaká because of the two goals. It was the only thing that I think, I think could have pushed him past MPG for me. Um, MPG was all over the pitch, and you know it, he was very involved in, in starting that first goal, so very instrumental in that. But it ultimately, I give a lot of weight to the guy who puts the ball in the net twice. And, and really uh, gives your team that opportunity to win when no one else was putting it in the net. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, MPG was my player of the game, but my man of the match, because we won, was Kaká. Goals win games. He's responsible for both of them. I think he put in a tireless performance. And also a little bit of a negative for me was that MPG couldn't go longer. I think mm-hmm. the game, we maybe get a third one and put it completely out of sight rather than that nail-biting potential for 2-2 that we love so much this season. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Kaká was well worthy of the man of match performance for this game. Yeah, and one thing we didn't mention is how agonizingly close the team was to putting the game away when Kevin Molino found the ball on his foot and got round Saunders and then just put a, a like a, just a lazy shot on, on net and a great hustle play by Matarita kept it out. Um just unbelievable play by him, but also you just like to see Kevin just smash that into the back of the net. Yeah, well, I think that shot was Kevin's personality. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. It was like <laughs> it'll go in. It's it's island time. We'll figure it out. <laughs> and instead, you know, you got a guy who is playing defense for a team that's right near the top, and it just was not to be. Yeah. So okay, Orlando City gets a win. And finishes 2-0-1. Two wins, no losses, one draw against New York City. Having played twice at Yankee Stadium on that awful, awful field. Um, awful baseball diamond. And um, I think that's pretty good. I mean, they, they are right now 3-1-2 in the all-time series. So kind of owning those Bronx Blues. Yeah, it feels pretty good considering, you know, as I started this, they've kind of risen this season. They got Vieira, they've brought in some additions, they've got all three of their DPs firing um, on, <laughs> on cylinders as opposed to us. Um, 
it feels pretty good that we can still kind of own that matchup and, and put that on postcards and billboards. Yeah, and you mentioned this too. We we didn't talk about this yet, so why don't before we move on, we'll talk about it real quick. Uh, Kaká comes off for Breck Shea. Now, I said that I, I thought it was a bizarre um, substitution. I took a little heat for that uh, in the you know in the in the comments section, and I I stand by the fact that I thought it was odd because if you're bringing on a defensive player, bring on a defensive player. Don't bring on a guy who you said can't be a defensive player. We've tried it and it's failed. And a guy who's, let's face it, he's very prone to giving up fouls in in dangerous spots. So, you know, maybe he wasn't the guy I would have gone with. So, you know, obviously you can move Molino to the center and put Shea at the wing, and it's not that big a stretch. But for the game, the way the game was unfolding, the fact that Molino himself was looking very tired and the fact that he had been coming off a hamstring issue, you know, and the, he didn't really look, he certainly didn't look as strong as Kaká in my mind at that point in the game. So maybe you take off Molino instead, if you want to do that. And cause Kaká is a much better holdup player or, you know, like I said, bring in a, a full defensive person or Laren was dragging too. He's another guy you could have taken off. Yeah, well, I think, you know, what What was interesting, I remember listening to the press conference and he said that he had put Redding playing right back because he thought Alston looked gassed and he just needed some time. Yet, yeah. I feel like there was other play. Like, I actually didn't think Alston looked that gassed compared to some of the other outfielders out there. And then also Alston still ends up playing almost half the game when Redding wasn't really being challenged on that right side. I remember midway through the first half saying, I can't believe they're not trying to pressure Redding more. He's out of position. Mm -hmm. He's a young guy. Why aren't you just trying to attack the crap out of him? And they just didn't. So when I saw him come off, I was like, okay, maybe they're trying to make sure they they don't see that weakness. But the the Breck-Shea-Kakar substitution just didn't make sense to me because if you're going to go defensive you've still got Mikey Ambrose there you can kind of slot him in as a third center back if you wanted to or just kind of keep him low or just in front of Nocherino Carrasco for that extra protection or yeah or you could put him outside and slide Bowden inside as a third center back you can kind of move him you can do a lot with that because Bowden can go all over the pitch or if you're going to go attacking throw in Baptista 15 minutes is his specialty yeah, I don't understand I why you, you, you bring in a guy who doesn't seem to have a position in this team right now in a very close game. Yeah, and a pivotal pivotal game and, and a, you know, like dicey, you know, one goal lead and you're getting a lot of pressure. And I kind of think that they did look, they did kind of start attacking Reading a little bit in the beginning of the second half. I think that, that they had some success coming that way. And, um, they, you know, I think Jason Christ knew that Jack Harrison was still on the bench as well. Mm-hmm. So here's another guy that can, he can, they can bring on fresh and attack him. So I think they just he just wanted to get Alston some rest because Alston's played a ton of games since Ramos got hurt. And, uh, you know, three games in nine days, uh, that's, all, that's a tall ask for, uh, you know, a guy who's been around for a while. And uh, I didn't mind that experiment with Tommy Redding. It seemed to, for the most part, work out other than the fact that they couldn't get any attack up the right side whatsoever uh, through the normal run of possession. Everything was channeled left. Um, And with Bowden's speed, it kind of handcuffed any real wing play whatsoever. (laughs) Um, But, you know, 
and, you know, another thing I thought of too is like if you're going to bunker like that and just play defense, at least you, if you take off Laren and put in Rivas, at least you got a shot at maybe a breakaway if you can pop one over the top, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was just an it was an odd substitution I think because like you say we're not talking about those wingers weren't really working they they were being compacted out maybe that affected Molino's play we do discover that if he doesn't have somebody behind him he he doesn't go forward as much um, that is a weakness in his game but it's also a, a mentality that he doesn't want to have to concede or defend mm-hmm. um, but the fact <laughs> of the matter is we we still needed something else and you you know Jack Harrison was on the field when Kaká goes off. I still find that an odd substitution. You know he was then available and, and was going to start attacking. Why you, you kind of mix that up and, and try to squeeze Breck into a position that he doesn't really play just is, is, is odd. Yeah, and I think that was borne out with, I think he had two touches in 16 minutes. Yeah. And that's that's not, that's not a player who's involved. And that's exactly the kind of lack of involvement that can cause you to come in hard on a challenge and and you know give up a free kick from just outside the box to Andrea Pirlo you know <laughs> at the death at the death of the game although he was out of the game by then I think but um you know still via and guys like that they can take free kicks so uh, Lampard certainly could take them um you don't want to you don't want to set them up with a potential game time goal uh, off of a foul and if if there's there might be one or two guys on the team that are more prone to fouling than Breck, but there's not more than three. Yeah, <laughs> I would say. So anyway, we move on. It worked. Jason Christ got his three points, got his revenge on his old team, uh, and uh, Orlando City gets to feel good going into the international break. Yeah, I, I think it. Hopefully, it's a catalyst for us to get moving. I, I'm still skeptical because we do have a really strong running schedule um, against us. Mm-hmm. But you know, maybe it's a corner turn, corner turned. <laughs> but I'm not gonna start praying for sunshine just yet. <laughs> we'll reserve the right to judge later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the with the benefit of hindsight. Yep, I will use podcasting. You know, nows to say I'll come back mm-hmm. to it. All right, so uh, Orlando Pride, not as fortunate last weekend, a loss to the Washington Spirit, basically taking them in, out of uh, out of postseason contention. I think there's a very minuscule chance that if some teams collapse, they could still maybe sneak into the fourth spot, but probably their season is done. Um, Laura Alloway was not able to go due to a quad injury. Uh, Jose Belanger had not yet returned from uh, her international duties, and... You know that just, and of course Steph Catley out with the with the injury for the rest of the year, the broken metatarsal. So, all that help we thought we were getting back, we got Morgan, and we got Ashlyn Harris. And Morgan had a lot of trouble getting any kind of service or getting to the ball. They did a good job defensively on her. Uh, Washington Spirit have a very good back line, and the uh, she was just not able to get any. Anything going offensively? Uh, she had a, a half chance that uh, she shot just wide. Another one she put over the bar on a on a header, uh, but nothing really too worrisome for the keeper. Sarah Hagen came on and got a consolation goal after it was after the team was down two nil. Um, so at least it wasn't as bad as the loss at Washington. Uh, but basically, you know. It's an expansion team, and they're kind of having expansion team results. Yeah, that game kind of summed up their season in that it just 
wasn't going right for them. I mean, that was their eighth loss in the last 10 games. Um, you're not going to make the playoffs in a league that only allows four teams out of 10 to make the playoffs with those kind of numbers. But what's good is it starts to give us the ability to turn and look forward to next season and start breeding new talent and, and seeing and giving everybody a go with not much to do. The only thing we still have to do is get at least one more point so that we can break the uh, record for number of points by an expansion franchise in NWSL. And I think that will happen. We still have a couple of games with Sky Blue and a game with uh, the Boston Breakers, I think, remaining. Uh, so I think that's going to happen. I think they, they can certainly do that. They've got uh, new players on the way, in fact, some uh, some reinforcements. Uh, not sure how long Laura Alloway will be out of commission, but uh, Mackenzie Berryhill, Berryhill has been brought in from the Portland Thorns, claimed on waivers. Uh, she's a rookie and somebody that uh, Tom Sermani said that they looked at potentially drafting, but she was taken uh, before their next uh, spot was up. So uh, he gets her anyway, and, you know, she should be an interesting addition in that she can play basically anywhere on the back line. Um, you know, Monica is back now, so you got Monica and Tony Presley sort of anchoring down the central defense, uh, but Mackenzie Berryhill can spell them or play outside. One of the things she has, positions she has played is left back, which is obviously a problem uh, with Catley out for the season. So, uh, you know, a good pickup in terms of it didn't really cost anything. Yeah, I think it was – I don't want to say it was a warm body situation, but it was at least somebody who can come in. It was somebody that they wanted. I think any time you can go out and get a draft pick that you wanted without really giving anything up, that's pretty good considering, you know, we are at the end of the season. You want to start looking forward. It, it's a good pickup in my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah, and keep in mind that the problem with expansion teams is depth. That's almost yep. always the problem. And this is a way to get depth before you go into next season. This is a way to start picking up players early. The other thing they did was they went out and got an international superstar, a the captain of the Australian national team, Lisa Devana, who's she's getting up there in age, but she's still a very useful player, helped lead her team to the quarterfinals in the Olympics and uh, has been a, a, a very good player on the world stage, somebody that maybe Alex Morgan can play off of. Yeah, I think what Devana really brings is just so much experience to this team and, and the ability to put in a good, solid 90 minutes. Okay, she's she's 31, but she brings so much experience. She's worked with Samani. She's another caliber player that I think Morgan can hopefully develop a partnership with. But also, once again... 2017 may be a quiet year for women's soccer, limited tournaments, but the U.S. women's team is still going to play games. She's still going to potentially end up missing some time with the NWSL team. So you've got to have a, a, a body to come in and get those goals that haven't been so prevalent with Hagen, Spencer, um, Evans, just trying to move forward. It just hasn't happened. So I think it's a great pickup, um, and I'm excited to see the next game against Houston, which we have yet to lose to. Yeah, knock on wood, man. <laughs> yeah, if you can beat the Dash four times in a season, uh, I think that should prove that you're you're a better expansion team than Houston. Except all of them are without Collie Lloyd because we broke her in the first game. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, the, the Camping World Stadium turf broke her in the first game. Uh, but yeah, and then, you know, she, she got healthy and kind of chilled out until the Olympics and then got you know, a little late coming back. And she was having a little vacation. May still but... be chilling. <laughs> yeah, may still be. 
Uh, let's turn our attention towards OCB, which unfortunately lost for the third time in four matches and now winless in four. Uh, went to Richmond in the second leg of a home-and-home. Home. Played a pretty good road game. Didn't generate a lot of chances, but played a pretty good road game and then uh, gave up a late goal and ended up losing 1-0. It's just how... How many times do we keep saying, I feel like this is just such a roller coaster of emotions that this team is having this year? They, they suck. They were then good. <laughs> they then sucked. They haven't sucked as much the last game. And maybe we can kind of get that upswing and start clawing towards and staying above. I think we're still just above that red line. I think we're still in eighth yep. place. But yep. people are catching us. We have to start getting some points on the board. Um, mm-hmm. This is the last game at home, which doesn't necessarily bode well. But if we can get three points, maybe we can kick on and, and develop something. But once again, as we talked about last week, losing Ambrose and Roach have probably set this team back a lot further than they were expecting. Yeah, probably so. And I think there's been some experimentation, too, as well with with shape. Uh, they've gone to more two, two center forwards, uh, you know, two... two uh, Two striker formations with Keegan Smith in there, along with Michael Cox. <laughs> We've seen a lot more of Craig Nitty lately for some reason. Um, but I think that part of it is that, you know, Jason Christ and Anthony Pulis, they need to see what they have. Yep. They need to see what they have going into next year. Who's who's sort of in the long-range plans? Who's not? Uh, we got to look at Alejandro Garcia the other night, and I thought, wow, if there was ever a time to not bring this guy on, it's probably now. <laughs> Uh, and unfortunately, you know, he, he didn't really get into the game too much. And I don't, I don't see him as a long-term prospect, but, um, you know, they wanted to see what they had. And, and I think they, they got him some minutes where they could and in the middle of a busy stretch. But the interesting thing is that you, you look at the schedule remaining for OCB and it's kind of a mixture of easy games and hard games. And, you know, like Pittsburgh at home, that's a winnable game. Um, at Toronto, too, that's a winnable game. And then you got, like, at Cincinnati, which is probably a difficult, I mean, as difficult a place to play as there is in, in USL now with their their enormous crowds that they're getting uh, up there. And um, But I think, basically, they need to tread water and maintain their advantage over Bethlehem because then the season ends at Bethlehem on the 25th. Yeah, I think, you you know, you say that you've got some easy and hard games. I think for this team right now, no game is easy because they're just in such a <laughs> flux. And I think Cincinnati is probably definitely going to be drop points. Um, it's whether or not we can we can get enough of a kickstart and and win those games that we should be winning. But as we say across all Orlando City franchises, a easy game doesn't necessarily mean three points. That's true, and, and I'm I, I should mean to. You know, I don't mean to belittle the opponents, obviously, and I don't mean to say that they're. I, what I meant to say, I guess, was they're winnable games. They're not necessarily easy games. They're they're teams that are not among the leaders, and you know, of course, Cincinnati's got a pretty good record, and they've still got to play at Toronto, at Wilmington. The the big thing is the four road games to end the season. Mm-hmm. They have to get that win against Pittsburgh yep. on Saturday night. They have to win that game, get three points, build that cushion back up. Uh, Bethlehem would need to get on a roll somewhere. I don't know what their schedule looks like down the stretch, but they uh, certainly haven't to this point shown that they are our playoff caliber. Orlando City B has shown that at times, that nine-game unbeaten streak. 
Um, but they started the season so poorly that they dug themselves a really deep hole. And, and now that they're having another, another uh, run of poor form, or at least poor results, even when the form was good, um, you know, they had those two nightmarish games, then they came home and, and got a result against, uh, you know, against Richmond and then went to Richmond and Dan- darn near got another one. Uh, but they just couldn't quite close it out. And so maybe they kind of figured out how to play without Rocha and without uh, Mikey Ambrose. But then again, Pierre de Silva's off with the with the uh, youth national team too. So uh, Pittsburgh is not going to be a pushover either. No, I, I, I would, let, let's be honest, though, that's a good thing that we're having people that are playing for OCB going to you know national camps are getting signed by MLS teams. That's good mm-hmm. for this franchise. That's what this franchise is about. Okay, mm-hmm. their goal is to just make the playoffs. They've got two games ahead of Harrisburg. They can kind of start to hopefully... If they just win those, they're pretty much safe. It, it, it's it's getting there. That's going to be the hardest part. And the way for a road games to end the season is not the way you would love to end the season. <laughs> no, it's not. But uh, Toronto, too, has been poor this year at times. And... And again, Bethlehem is another team that they, they, they'll be directly competing with for, for that last playoff spot, so they need to win that game. Uh, but if they if they get a result, not a result, a win. If they get a win against <laughs> Pittsburgh, they're, they're in pretty good shape uh, with the remaining schedule. They just have to get some kind of road results and then, uh, and then win that final game at Bethlehem Steel FC. And if they do that, they can, they can see the postseason. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think this franchise for the way it started, they would consider that a bigger victory than when they set the playoffs as a goal um, at the start of the season. Absolutely. So that leaves us with the international break here with uh, the Montreal Impact game on the road on the other side of this. And uh, that's not going to be an easy task because um, we've got Kevin Molino and Kyle Lahren off doing their, their international thing. And the U.S. men's national team plays Trinidad and Tobago on the 6th in Jacksonville, which means that, hey, Kevin won't be far from home. <laughs> but still, if he plays 90 minutes on the 6th, he's not going to be flying to Montreal to play on the 7th. No, he is not. <laughs> and Kyle has actually has a game in Vancouver the night before that Montreal game, which is way out west. So if he plays at all in that game, he's not going to be playing at Montreal. Yeah, I, I mean... I would say those guys are pretty much scratches right out the gate. I think it's already been a long season. You're asking them to do travel. It's not like this is then going to be a local game for somebody like Kevin. He's then still going to have to fly two and a half, three hours to then take the field the next day. I would say that probably Christ is kind of thinking about what he's going to do without those guys. And unfortunately for missing Laren, I mean, we don't really have another registered forward on this roster. No, I think you're going to have to see either a change in shape or you're going to have to see Julio uh, Baptista try to try to get 60 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then if he if he manages that, maybe you could bring on a Carlos Rivas. Here's some more potential good news, though. Mr. Pedro Ribeiro is back in training. Yes. Any chance that he could maybe pay, play 20 minutes of striker on... Uh, on the seventh, he's had success against Montreal. I think you're just asking so much for a guy who. When did he last play? March. 
Yeah, he's been out all year. Yeah. <laughs> I think he got one <laughs> game and then he got hurt. I, I just, I don't see him being able to go travel. I mean, first of all, it was a back injury. Traveling on a plane, you're just, you're looking, it's already the first. You're giving him less than a week to kind of get into a new coaching system from a pretty bad injury. I don't think you can even get that kind of minutes from him. I think you're going to have to see if the DP that we have is capable of playing (laughs) (laughs) and and putting a shot on frame. Good one. Yeah. Good. That's, that's a good, that's a good funny joke from you, Andrew. (laughs) You know, I mean, all teams get three of them and you have to remember we have three. One of them is currently not in the country (laughs) and another one couldn't get off the bench I, I don't know what Christ would have to see to get Carlos Rivas off this bench right now. I don't know. He went I to certainly Jay in a position <laughs> that we thought realistically you probably go with Rivas on that left side. Yeah, it's it was an interesting substitution for sure. But <laughs> you're, you're, Carlos Rivas, <laughs> I mean Adrian Heath knew the guy and and knew what he could do and has seen some of the amazing things he's done and still wouldn't put him on the field. Exactly. You've got to go back to the Charleston Battery game last year, which I don't think I've ever seen such a turnaround from one player in a single game. Yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. But, you know, there's these... The, the weird thing about Carlos Rivas is that he's got these games where you look at him and you go, why can't he always play like that? Mm-hmm. You think back to when... Colorado came to town last year and Breck Shea was playing hurt and then and then he had the hernia thing act up and had to had to leave the pitch and had to come off and Carlos Rivas went out and tortured the Rapids for the entirety of the rest of the game. You look at the Red Bulls game last year at at New York where we scored five goals and Laren had the you know the hat trick and and Everything Rivas got onto was just a perfect cross. He had a hat trick of assists, I think, uh, <laughs> and he and he also put one in off of the off of defenders. <laughs> yep. He put in such a good cross that the defender went ahead and put it in. Um, he's a, such a great crosser of the ball from that left side. He is, and I, I just I I find it hard to believe. It's obviously I think Christ does a lot of his selections in training. And yes. this is where it's really coming down to is I don't think Rivas is putting in the effort to even warrant 20, 30 minutes come game day. And mm-hmm. that's concerning because, as we're mentioning, we're going into a team that's above us that has some really strong talent. And we're going to be missing two of our instant starters because there's just I don't I don't see that Kyle has the ability to fly across country and play two games in two days. No, if like I said, the only the only way Kyle could play is if the if the Canadian team doesn't play him on Tuesday. Yeah, and I and even that's a little bit of a stretch because, like you said, it's going to be a four or five hour flight. Yeah. Um, and the same thing for Molino. Molino does not play on the seventh if he plays on the sixth, even if he only plays half. No, I mean, and I I can't remember. I think Canada's already progressed to the hex, though, right? Like they're not is in dire shape. <sighs> Uh, I don't know, honestly, off the top of my head. I could, I definitely am not sure about that. I, uh, the U.S. right now is in trouble, but Trinidad and Tobago is sitting pretty good, actually. 
Yeah, I mean, they're, they're above them. So I, I, I don't, I mean, I feel like Molino has to start. He's one of their better players. There's just no way that he doesn't. Uh, Canada is sitting outside of the hex. They are behind, they're level with Honduras. So they, they got to win their games too, because they're playing Canada and uh, they're playing Honduras and El Salvador, the teams that could not make them go through. So there's no way Laren doesn't start. Unless they just want Tucson Ricketts to play. Because he's in so much better form right now. <laughs> you hear me, Canada? Ricketts is in form. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's just a bummer because no one needs a rest more than Kyle Aaron right now. And he's he's getting the opposite of a rest right now. Yeah, he's, he's being asked to play two meaningful games in very short order. <laughs> and... Oh, man. It's just not – yeah, it's not good. Right now, Canada, like you said, is third in, in Group A by goal differential mm-hmm. against Honduras. Um, so that's going to be – you know, these are very much needed points for them. Mexico is already on. You know, they're already – they're eight points clear at this point. Yeah, they're going through. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would say they probably are going to end up, you know, to, you know topping CONCACAF. Uh I don't think there's even any doubt the way the U.S. is playing that Mexico is going to take this thing. Uh, unless somebody like Costa Rica somehow, you know, upsets them or whatever. But and Trinidad Tobago sitting on 10 points. They're in really, really good shape right now. Um, maybe Kevin won't be needed on Tuesday. I just, it's all, it's not so much about positioning, which is pretty good because the hex kind of really starts all over again. But I just don't see Trinidad and Tobago really wanting to, fall back if they don't have to yeah no that's what i was just talking about mexico i think they're winning they're winning this yes yeah. that's what i think but um yeah so the u.s is on seven points obviously they should beat saint vincent and the grenadines even without oh god all the guys that they're missing they are missing john brooks jossie zardes clint dempsey <laughs> um michael bradley is on uh, yellow card suspension so he won't be playing and jermaine jones was just sent home with you know, to continue rehabbing his injury. So that is a lot of experience and a lot of caps over the last couple of years that are not going to be in the lineup. Uh, but it is St. Vincent and the Grenadines. That's a good point. It, yes, at least he's not missing the game that I, you know, the Trinidad and Tobago game, because I think then the U.S. would certainly consider themselves in trouble. But once again, the U.S. didn't march through this group like people expected them to and now they're missing even more players so even though it's St. Vincent and the Grenadines I think the U.S. have to be careful that they don't slip on another banana peel yeah well they're playing on a cricket ground so it's uh anything can happen when you're playing on a cricket ground yeah. uh then they get Trinidad and Tobago at home now the problem is Trinidad and Tobago is playing pretty well um it is a home game it's in Jacksonville and we're actually going to be covering that game Gavin Eubank's going to be at the match to uh, cover that live for us, which is a nice uh, thing to be able to do. It's really great to be credentialed for a World Cup qualifier. Um, and I think that speaks to the fact that we're, we're considered legitimate media by some, you know, some pretty, pretty hard to get credentials for some of these U.S. games. Yeah. You kind of have to show that you've, that you've covered international soccer before, and we certainly have done that here, both with the Florida Cup and with uh, the Mexico uh, friendly that we had here, and also the U.S. Women's National Team. So we've been credentialed before, but but for a World Cup qualifier, nothing of this magnitude. It's just been you know friendlies basically so far. So uh, so patting ourselves on the back right now. Uh, 
about this, and uh, it'll be nice to have somebody there. But uh, how do you see these two games going, Andrew? With the you know we talked about the players that are missing. How does Jurgen Klinsmann sort of rally the troops, and and uh, you know how does he pick his lineup when he's got you know so many regulars that are not available? I think he has to do what Jurgen was brought in to do, which is he's got to use his young talent and just motivate them and and tell them this is their time to start thinking about, you know, this is the World Cup qualifying. This is about getting to that tournament in two years in Russia. This is, if you can't get motivated for that, you shouldn't be playing against St. Vincent and the Grenadines. This is your time to go out and score five and make a name for yourself. He's going to have to do that. He's going to have to bring in new talent and, and stop blooding these guys because mm-hmm. all of those people are missing. All of those caps is is really where the U.S. men's team struggle in the fact that they've relied on the same people for so long. You eventually at some point have to wave goodbye to them and bring in other people, and this is a chance for him. And as his position as technical director for bringing people through the U.S. soccer pyramid, this is his time to shine and show that he's done a good job. Yes, absolutely. Now, uh, Guatemala hot on the U.S. heels. U.S. on seven points. Guatemala on six. St. Vincent the Grenadines, I'm, they're minus 16 in goal differential. 0-4-0. <laughs> They've scored three goals and, and, and conceded 19. I don't see this as a problem, even though they're on a cricket ground. Um, I see that the St. Vincent game, I think, is going to be an experimental game. Let's get some young guys in there. Let's go ahead and just, even if we just squeak out a win, let's go get our win and then save the big guns for the Tuesday night game against Trinidad and Tobago, uh, potentially to top the group. Or, you know, depending on how that Trinidad and Tobago uh, Guatemala thing ends up, this could be a chance for the U.S. to uh, to take the top of the group if they they can go out and get six points in the next two games so it helps to go into that trinidad and tobago game with a very informed josie altador yeah i (laughs) he's been one of those players that i i I personally don't rate him i think he's he's had his opportunities over the years and he's never been able to pull them off he's done the premier league he's been around europe and he's just not managed to break through but in Toronto, with Giovinco by his side and Greg Vanny coaching, he seems to have found out what makes him happy. I still think he could do with losing some weight in this league and mm. not being such a centre-back. <laughs> he's a big man. <laughs> um, but he's good, and I think that he's really going to be relying on him because, you know, you're the five forwards, or Jordan Morris, who set a pretty good rookie season for the Sounders but hasn't set it on fire. Uh, you've got Wando, and I will leave you Ugh. to provide your input on him. Uh, no comment. And Bobby Wood, who's <laughs> did a pretty good game for Hamburg and and, and making that step up, and then yeah, I like Bobby Wood. Yeah, yeah Bobby Wood. I used to hate Bobby Wood, but I have turned. I've completely turned around on Bobby Wood. I used to not be able to stand that guy in a U.S. uniform, and. I think it was right around the time they went and won those friendlies over in uh, in uh, the Netherlands and and um, in Germany that that he started to become hey this guy can actually play a little bit. I, I mean you don't play in Europe if you can't play. I think that's the the one thing that people have 
you have at least for the U.S. men's team. And, and most of these guys are now starting to play not just in, in Bundesliga 2. They're playing in the actual Bundesliga for teams yeah. that matter. And that makes a difference. And then your last guy you got up front is Rubio Rubin, who is somebody who needs blooding on this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a great chance for him to go out and knock seven past St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And, and you know, that's all he may have a score, but at least he scored them. That's right. So you see U.S. getting to the hex? I see them getting to the hex. I, 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 how about this? I wouldn't bet against them not making it. Like, yeah. It, it, I think they're, they're set up quite well, considering the, if you had to pick the, the two most likely games to win, it would be home games probably against St. Vincent and, 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 Trinidad. and Trinidad. But they, don't, they have to go to St. Vincent. But I don't think that's... That shouldn't be notably harder than beating them here, I don't think. Uh, well, I don't think so, because like you say, I think they're just going to play a very young, experimental squad. And even if they only win run nil, okay, they'll get crucified by people who'll be like, well, they should have won by four or five, but it's still the points that you need. Expect yeah. a young side to go out there, but then, you know, against Trinidad, you're going to have Bradley back, you're going to have Kleshton, you're going to have your Bodoya and you're going to have a strong back line with the newly signed Newcastle player, DeAndre Yedlin, probably playing there. And mm-hmm. then you've got two Premier League quality goalkeepers who can come in as well. Yep. And my boy Fabian Johnson from Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, playing out of position at defense, uh, but, <laughs> but, doing it, but doing it with style. Doing it with panache. That's right. So, uh, yeah, so we'll have some coverage of that. And uh, the U.S., again, this this podcasts lands on friday morning on the 2nd of september and uh, it's an afternoon game it's on bn sports so u.s at st vincent the grenadines is on bn sport at uh 3:30 p.m eastern time so by the time you've heard this if you listen to it right away the game will be coming right up so uh so it means you need it. to listen to it right away that's right well and by the time you hear this you will either have <laughs> done that or not <laughs> should have put <laughs> that at the goes. start yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, that brings us to the final segment of the evening. Uh, you've come to know it and love it. The key matchups and final predictions, uh, score predictions for Montreal Impact uh, next Wednesday. And we'll get to those right after this. All right. That just about does it for the podcast this week episode number 63 we will of course not get out of here though until we give you our key matchups and score predictions andrew uh why don't you start us off uh, montreal playing at home uh you know orlando city on the road going to the great white north and uh, playing in quebec and um you know both teams will be missing some international players uh how do you see this one shaping up well you know we're saying that Montreal's missing some international players. They're play- they're missing their backup goalkeeper and a guy that doesn't really play that often. So- is Lawrence Simon not gone? Uh, no, I don't believe he is. I cannot see him on the list. Huh. Well, that sucks. Yeah, so Simon is actually <laughs> playing. Um, so, it, it, for me, the mat- my key matchup is Kaká against Montreal. Because without it, the whole team, yeah, just the whole team, he's just gonna have to go and do it himself. Because <laughs> I think he's just there is they're gonna be they're gonna be stacked. They're at home. 
they're not really missing anybody. You could even argue that Crepu, their backup goalkeeper, is probably going to be back up for Canada and probably could fly across country and and play the game. Probably. Um, so I, I don't see this ending well, but my key matchup is Kakar against the midfield. He's going to have to keep Piatti quiet in a defensive role. He's going to have to be great as an attacking against Simon and trying to split that pace because, as we discussed, Laren probably isn't up there, so he's going to have to find his partner in Julio Baptista and just running him through walls um, to get goals. Um, I, with all that said, I, I, I can't see a positive result despite how much we need this and back-to-back wins would really getting us going. I see a 2-0 loss um, on the road to Montreal. Ah, oh, man, I hate when people... I hate when people predict that we won't score goals. Because it's bad enough to lose, but not to even have the I, consolation I, 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 of a goal. I, I just, I can't... I can't see it if you've got no Molino and you've got no Kyle Laren. I mean, you're then bringing in Breck Shea probably who's the only person capable of playing the 90 minutes without making substitutes. We really don't have any depth at forward because the only other recognized forward we had is now living in Honduras. Um, I, I, I just, I, I think that's why my key matchup is Kakar. If he can have a world player of the year performance i think we can score without that i i don't see it because i don't see montreal finding the need to foul us in dangerous positions and getting and letting us score a free kick i don't see them being that flustered against a side where we're missing so many people and and they're not really missing anybody what do you what do you think about a a, a, a shape change do you think that jason christ picks this week to maybe try it out a 442 I think he might be forced to do that, and I think that would be a good way of potentially trying to put Montreal on the back foot. Does he have the ability to do a 4-4-2 when he has no forwards? Um, I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, maybe you just maybe he's seen something in training that he thinks he can put out there, um, and maybe Kakam moves forward into a, a, a forward role, but I, I just don't see it. I a four four two at this point, I can see him playing a six four zero. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw a name out here that we haven't talked about. Maybe some of probably some of our listeners have been sitting there screaming it at their at their listening device. Uh, Haji Berry. He is a guy who is not featured. He's not he's not dressed. Is he again? Is he a guy that can be brought in and play in this game and perhaps provide some offense? I think he could. I think he's capable of doing that. Um, is he capable of doing that against a well-stacked Montreal side? I don't know. I think, you know, he also hasn't been making the bench. He had those opportunities under Christ um, mm-hmm. on the left, and he didn't. He didn't stay there. He he got pulled back. He's not made the bench. I don't know if Christ is going to see that him as him being our savior for this particular game. I see Mon- I see Christ really trying to go up there and just snatch a point. I don't see that his long-term goal is trying to come back with three. Mm-hmm. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I will say that my key matchup for this game is going to be uh, very similar to what you were saying in, in the defensive midfield. But I'm going to say it's going to be no Chirino and Carrasco shielding the back line uh, by handling uh, Ignacio Piatti, uh, trying to take him out of the game as much as they can, 
trying to limit the the balls into him so he can't get up get you know into dangerous spots and then trying to crowd him to cut off his service to other other players i think that for me is going to be a huge huge matchup uh in this game and and really the if they don't keep piatti quiet there's absolutely no way they win this game for sure yeah um i i again you're going on the road i can't predict a win when a team has won one game on the road all year and that was the very first road game so I will say 2-1 to Montreal. I say somehow the Lions find a way to score. Maybe they even score first, and then they completely get shellacked the rest of the game. I don't know. But, uh, but I think that it will be tough, it, a very, very tough game. Even if they had Laren and Molino, and even if Simon was gone uh, with the Belgian national team, but none of that is coming to pass, So apparently. So uh, it's not looking good. I will say 2-1. to one. To Monreal. Uh, who scores for us? Um, I think someone. Well, obviously, I, I think I was going to say I think it's going to be someone unusual, but I think maybe MPG gets his first goal as a as a lion. Uh, the way I thought you were starting that sentence was Seb Hines scores from a header, but then I was like, that's just too <laughs> mythical. Well, you know. <laughs> If Seb Hines was going to score against people, Montreal would be a good candidate for that. And with his head would certainly be the right, the right <laughs> yes, object. It, although last year scored a very important goal against Montreal with his foot. Wow. And that goal against uh, that late goal against Montreal uh, down the stretch that kept Orlando City in the uh, playoff chase last year. You know, uh, I think it was maybe the fourth game of that five-game winning streak. I could be wrong, but I think it was it was certainly in that in that win streak down the stretch, and um, then of course they went into the final game with a chance and laid an egg at Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Philadelphia we see this year, the Philadelphia that there was last year. So um, that was tough, but of course then we also had Chris Penso, which I think I want to say Orlando City's o five and o when Chris Penso has been the referee. Yeah, that doesn't bode well. Yeah, and I, you could say, well, you know, it shouldn't matter who the ref is, but it, I mean, in Orlando City's case, it really does. If you watched that Philly game last year, the way it, the the unbelievably one-sided way it was called, and the fact that you know it just kind of snowballed because the players got so frustrated that they started taking additional fouls and additional bookings for dissent, and you know, I don't think that I don't think Chris Penso likes the purple team very much. Maybe it's because he doesn't look good in it. Well, yeah, well, it takes a special kind of guy to pull off purple. It really does. So I think that'll just about do it for this week's podcast, Andrew. I think that we've covered about everything we've uh, we've set out to cover. We've burnt, we've scorched enough earth. <laughs> we have, <laughs> and without a guest, without even a guest to help us this week. Yeah, I know. So I think we. It's it's funny because it seems like the l- fewer things we have to talk about, the longer we talk. I know, but I, you know why? It's because we're able to get to the nitty gritty of it, and we're able to bring out exactly how we feel. Are you saying that we're providing more depth? I, I would say that. Unlike Orlando City's roster, we do provide more depth. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. I went there. Oh man! <laughs> Zing! Yep. Uh, on that note, uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the Montreal match. Hopefully how well it went and how unbelievable the victory was and how we're on a two-game winning streak. But we're not holding our breath on that as we've just <laughs> We've you know, just roasted explained. them. <laughs> we've just explained. Uh, we'll talk a little bit 
about the U.S. men's national team and how they fared against St. Vincent and the Grenadines and Trinidad and Tobago. They're playing all the multiple island teams. Trinidad and Tobago, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Um, they're playing four. They're playing four nations in, <laughs> in two games. That's that's a tall order. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about OCB against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds and uh, the Pride's trip to Houston uh, to play the Dash. And I'll be recapping that one on uh, on Saturday night. So, uh, meanwhile, our our Sean Rollins will be out at. Titan Soccer Complex for the final home game of the year for OCB. So we've, we've got you covered. Keep coming to themainland.com for all your Orlando City, Orlando Pride, Orlando City B needs. And uh, I'm not sure at this point when next week's uh, podcast will be recorded. I'm assuming we'll go Thursday next week so we can also get the so we'll get the Montreal game in on Wednesday night and also OCB at Wilmington and the Pride at Sky Blue. So we might have two Pride games and two OCB games to talk about next week. Andrew, how, how's that sound? That sounds pretty good, and I'm going to remind people to bring their popcorn before we get started. All right. Better get your popcorn ready, <laughs> folks. <laughs> so uh, please uh, go to Twitter. We are at The Mainland, M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D. That's The Mainland, at The Mainland, Twitter. Uh, please follow us on Twitter. Please like us on Facebook. Please leave us a very glowing Re, uh, review on iTunes if you wouldn't mind. That'd be awesome for us. And, uh, of course, keep reading themainland.com. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about a whole lot more games. So uh, for Andrew Harrison, I am Michael Citro signing off saying, Go City! <laughs>